0: Blood Talk Radio
1: I'm sorry, welcome everyone, it's, it's, it's me here, <laughs> trying to get it together. Welcome to the DR Network, I'm your host, Marcia Patterson, and I want to welcome everyone. It's been a long, hot summer, but we're back on schedule here. Jennifer Nasser is with us uh, from the um, Embrace Hospice Hospital, and it's a hospital a hospital care in Villa Rica. Jennifer, welcome on board with us tonight.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here, and I'm also here with Rita Miller, who's on the board with the Alzheimer's Group of Carroll County, who we're representing tonight. So we're excited to to uh, educate and help people out with the crazy word and disease of Alzheimer's.
1: I'm so glad you're doing that. You know, um, for your health blog talk show started um, several years, about a year and a half ago, to educate people about how to take care of your body, how to take care of your health, eating right. But not only that, the journey that many people are going through with their health and giving them a perspective of what to face or what they'll be going through is so important because when you get a prognosis or diagnosis, whether it's cancer or Alzheimer's, it's, it's fearful. And a lot of times we just pull back into our own little shell and not knowing what to do or how to handle that. So you ladies, give us a perspective of Alzheimer's. And, you know, I think back on my grandmother as a little girl. My grandmother um, grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in the Louisiana area, pretty much lived on the farm pretty much most of her life. And my family moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in the 50s. And my dad took us back every year to visit my grandmother and my grandfamilies that lived in Louisiana. She used to say this every time she got up in the morning. Lord, thank you for waking me up in my right mind. And she would start her day and move around the house. And as I got as I became older and more of an adult and even now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, how relevant that is for her to say that. And she lived to be 105. And many people aren't waking up in their right mind today. And this disease Alzheimer is taking that away from them. Give us a little history about Alzheimer's and uh your perspective of what's happening today.
0: Well hi, this is Rita Miller and um Hi Rita. Good evening. Alzheimer's is actually a um a disease that was diagnosed in the early nineteen hundreds by Doctor Alzheimer's but the um The prevalence has increased as the aging population has increased. The older we get, the more likely it is that someone will develop dementia or Alzheimer's. Often we get the question, what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Dementia is a cognitive decline of your brain that may include anything from problem-solving, reasoning, sequencing, word-finding, and, of course, short-term memory. Um, In years past, many generations lived under the same roof, and you would hear someone say, oh, well, Aunt Susie has hardening of the arteries, or Aunt Susie's just not quite right, so she's living with us. But now that we have become a much more cosmopolitan world that people do not live in their own backyards with their families, um, people are needing more and more care outside of the home. So people are hearing more about it, and of course when President Reagan came forward that he had Alzheimer's, it it became much more well-known and much more talked about in in the general community, the general world, because at one time it was considered a taboo to have any kind of brain injury or uh, it was even considered a mental illness, which it's actually not. It is a cognitive decline um, and your brain slowly, slowly, um, withers away so that it affects every part of our being. Perfect. Yeah. So, so um, it
1: it has been around for years, but we didn't diagnose it. And like you said, family members was there to uh, watch over the family member, take care of them. Uh, so that makes a big difference that we're seeing today.
0: That is part of it. The other part is as we get older and um, the technology has uh, improved so much, the only definitive way to diagnose Alzheimer's is actually through autopsy. So you, they rule out everything else that might be causing some kind of decline, and some of those are reversible. Um, thyroid issues, uh, B12 insufficiency, uh, oxygen deprivation, um, vessels, uh, vessel, vessel um circulation, um, mild strokes that accumulate, all of those things can, can cause a, a memory decline, but um, the only way to truly diagnose after you've ruled out everything else, is, and you will get a diagnosis of probable Alzheimer's because it follows a path that no other um, dementia follows, and that is you, you'll have some decline and you'll rock along and do fairly well, and something happens. Maybe your spouse dies, or you have to move, or um, you um, get an infection of some sort, or other hospitalization, and you will decline significantly. Then when things get back to status quo, you get back better, but probably not quite as good as you did the time before. And you keep having those episodes that chisels away until eventually, uh, it has a cumulative effect, and you have a, a snowball effect that you just can't stop where they decline.
1: Now, while,
0: how, what? what is the normal age range from people
1: being diagnosed with Alzheimer's then?
2: Well, there's actually uh, two different sets. So there's early onset, which is more of a genetic one, um, and they're diagnosed anywhere in their 30s to 60s. Um, so the normal one that we that we see, because early onset is about 10%, the normal one that we see is um, late onset, which is about six between 60 and 80 years old, and they become diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease.
1: Now, that just blew my mind, the early onset of Alzheimer's or dementia, and I was looking at a story about a young man, very nice-looking young man, young family. 39 years old being diagnosed with that and that's genetics you think or is that linked to genes or running in the family?
2: Yeah. so it has been found that early onset has a lot more to do with genetics compared to late onset. Late onset's more it could have to do with genetics, some of it is environmental, some of it's lifestyle, so with our, with our late onset, they, ha- they still don't know what is the cause of Alzheimer's disease, but with early onset, they can kind of see how the genes are working. Um, and It has a lot to do, and I don't, I don't know if um, you're familiar with the word like hippocampus or anything like that, but um, the part mm-hmm. of the brain of the hippocampus actually is where, the, um, is where we have all of our memories. So that's actually what the neurons are dying pretty much and the additional parts of the brain are becoming infected. So that's how Alzheimer's disease actually begins and it begins to deteriorate and become um, what some people call clumps or amyloid plaques. And those plaques can become tangled with fibers and that's what causes a mess in the brain. So that's what causes the deterioration. So then seeing that with early onset is, um, more of the genetic side, and that is a little bit different. There's things called APO4, APO4s, apo APO3s, um, and that is a little more complex <laughs> compared to what we deal with with late onset in the geriatrics. So um, geriatrics is definitely, definitely unknown right now of what the cause is, but um, genetics, they, they do say, may play a large role in it, but right now they're determining environmental and lifestyle.
1: So what would be some of the early signs that most of us as family members or everyday people would miss knowing that someone is at that beginning stage of Alzheimer's or some of the early symptoms? What are some of the early things that families kind of ignore or we just miss?
2: Um, I think it's sometimes some of those uh, silly gestures that we look at where, oh, mom lost her keys or she can't find her purse or um, Dad just told me the same story today, you know, things like that where yeah, at that time it may have just been that moment of they lost their keys or, you know, Dad did tell me that he went fishing when he was twelve, you know, multiple times. But sometimes when you look deep into it and those constantly start happening, you can kind of see over time, well, mom's losing her keys and they're in the freezer. Mom's misplaced her purse and she never misplaces her purse. It's under the bed. Things like that where, um, you know, a lot of stuff becomes in place. Or there's a thing where words become a little um, hard to find. So for an example, you know, I'm trying to tell you where words are hard to find. And they're saying, words are, um, oh, what's the word? What's the word? And they're stuck on it. And while sometimes our brains do pause in a moment where I say the train's left the station, it will come back. Well, theirs aren't coming back. So they find they find a word that's hard for them to, to hold on to. And sometimes we can call it word salad where they kind of jumble the words. Um, so there's there's different ways that you can kind of see the transition. Also, just with their bodies too, you can kind of see a breakdown slowly with it. So there's different ways that you can tell and it's mainly with memory.
1: So what, you said breakdown with the body. What are we missing and seeing with the bodies? Body language or uh, gestures.
0: Both. Oftentimes, you see personality changes. Um, also, people tend to have poor hygiene. They don't remember that they didn't take a bath today or they didn't change clothes. Uh, incontinence can be an issue. Of both bowel and bladder. Um, and again, some of those are looking much more unkept. Um, not doing the things around the house that they used to do that um, would have previously bothered them. Sometimes paranoia can be an issue where they um, feel like someone's in the house with them or confabulate stories of who's been to the house. And that's what makes many people in the early stages so vulnerable to scams um, because their judgment is off.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How do... But I guess my thing is, um, what about the diet or medication? I mean, the medication. Is there medication that can take to help them with this or to prolong it from happening or delay it from happening or even stopping it from happening?
0: Well, again, um, healthcare and technology has become so much more advanced. Um, They're very close in finding a definitive diagnosis, especially of the different kinds of dementia. Oftentimes people ask, well, does it really matter if I know what kind of dementia I have Um, because the outcome is usually the same. And the answer to that is yes, it is very important because sometimes there are things that can help, Uh, as I said earlier, that uh, with vitamin deficiencies or or even brain tumors or other issues of that sort that can be rectified through medication or through diet change. As far as... Dr. Larry Tune is a a doctor at Emory in Atlanta, and I like one of the things that he says, and that is, you know, the best way to prevent Alzheimer's or dementia is take care of yourself. If you have high blood pressure, monitor it, take care of it. Monitor your diet, monitor your weight. If you're a diabetic, take care of it. So I know we all get tired of hearing, well, you know, eat right, exercise, keep yourself stimulated. Um, But truly, that is the best advice anyone can have in regards to any disease process, and that includes dementia. Uh, There are some medications. They don't prevent it. They don't stop it. But they can slow down the process in some people. For some people, they cannot tolerate it, and they can't take it. Um, These have been uh, in the works in developing for many, many years. My own mother was in a trial case um, over 30 years ago, and um, that medication went on to become what's now Aricep. Um but nothing stops it. Nothing slows it completely down, but it can help you to maintain some of your abilities. Uh, two of the biggest reasons that someone has to leave home and go into an uh, outside setting, an a, um, institutional setting, like an assisted living or a nursing home, is number one, incontinence, not able to take care of your activities of daily living, of bathing, dressing, grooming, and taking care of yourself, especially toileting. And the second reason is a fractured hip. Um, With um, dementias, people tend to have balance issues and um, have a, a tendency to have falls and become more frail, and breaking a hip can put someone into an institution very quickly.
1: Wow. Now, how long can a person function normally after receiving an Alzheimer's diagnosis? Is that kind of like depending on the individual and the, how, how bad the brain is? Before, um, how long can one function or on a normal function before, or before we start seeing a decline? Or do you, it's not a set pattern to say this person may start seeing a decline within a month or two months. How is that set up? When the doctor diagnosed a patient.
0: Well, first of all, statistics tell us that most people have had some sort of decline, for and some symptoms for up to three years before a physician it gives them the diagnosis. And if you think about it, you go in to see your doctor maybe once a year, maybe twice a year. How you doing? I'm mm-hmm. fine. Uh-huh. You, you know, are you taking your medicine? Uh-huh. And and before the individual, the <laughs> they don't realize. And more and more physicians, especially primary care physicians, now are screening anyone over 65 uh, with um, a tool to help them to know if they have any problems. But uh, again, statistics tell us that uh, people generally live from three to 12 years after they're diagnosed. Um, it, cha- it the uh, progression depends on the individual because. When, what you bring to the table with you in terms of not just your diagnosis, but your other comorbidities, diabetes, uh, Parkinson's, um, uh, high blood pressure, uh, high cholesterol, uh, a history of strokes, any of those things that you're bringing to the table with your comorbidities affects your body and it will affect how quickly the disease process uh, takes for you. Secondly, your environment. If you're in a stimulating environment where people are giving you excellent care, you're going to have a slower decline. And lastly, what's my last mm-hmm. Um, Your personality. Um, again, you bring to the table your life history, your personality, your education, and Alzheimer's knows the boundaries because it affects the very poor and the very rich. It affects, um, Every generation it affects, there's no one who's immune to it.
1: Wow. So what does the screening process look like? Um, is there blood work done? Uh, there's a written test, or is it just verbal answering questions? What is, or is it all of the above that kind of help doctors to get the proper diagnosis of Alzheimer's?
0: Well, really, I would say all of above, because... Um, it is a um, elimination game in the beginning. To um, do test, blood work, um, a urinalysis, because sometimes people with, especially early onset, having a urinary tract infection will put them in left fill very, very quickly, and you'll see this huge sudden decline. And it's because they already have a, a degree of dementia, and then the UTI really affects them even more. Going under really? ed- Yes. Uh, going under anesthesia can affect someone um, that once they go under anesthesia they're, and they have a little bit of dementia, that seems to accelerate the process. Um, so again, it's an elimination game, checking the carotid arteries to make sure that they don't need an endarterectomy, to check for cardiac issues that can cause some arrhythmias and issues. Uh, doing blood work, again, to make sure that there's no uh, thyroid or, uh, or um, vitamin deficiencies, doing brain scans to see, is there shrinkage in the brain? Because that is something that actually happens, is that your brain does begin to shrink. Um, And the, the longer you live with dementia, the more your brain will shrink. Wow, so you're just withering up, and so all that
1: information that sits in that brain supposed to work as a computer is dying off. Exactly. And so that is that how a patient eventually dies, is that their brain just shuts down and then the heart stops? Or uh, that's when you hear some people, the doctors say their brain dead um, and the heart. I, just tell me, because I, I, sometimes I had a friend of mine whose sister, uh, mother-in-law was uh, Alzheimer's and she wouldn't eat, and they had a hard time convincing her that she needed to eat. And is that one of the symptoms because their brain don't remember that, or
2: right? So, again, with Alzheimer's, it's in the hippocampus, so that's all your memories. So even your memories, such as eating or um, knowing when to go to bed, knowing your night times and day times, certain things like that actually have such an effect on your body. Obviously, eating does, but eventually, what Alzheimer's does is you'll, you'll forget the eating, uh, and your body just begins to shut down. So you, your kidneys will shut down. All your other organs will shut down. You know, you could possibly have a heart attack, but they, they, they end up shutting down because of the lack of
0: movement and memory and situations of the Alzheimer's. Infection is one of the number one um, causes of actual death with someone, and it's considered um, complications from Alzheimer's that causes the death. Alzheimer's itself is typically not the cause of death, but it can be pneumonia, it could be um, their bodies shutting down, their kidneys shut down, and liver failure from uh, when they're not eating and the, their body is so compromised. Again, the fractured hip and never being able to recover from that because um, they aren't able to follow the instructions from a physical therapist and get back up on their feet again. Uh, urinary tract infection, um, I think I said pneumonia already, Uh, But some of those things that most of us could fight off and really bounce back from, someone with dementia would have great difficulty in doing so.
1: Wow. So
0: if I get a diagnosis
1: with my loved one or a family member that they have Alzheimer's, walk me through the procedure for me, you know, getting help, because I'm looking at some of these stories and information about family members who taking care of their loved ones 24-7, seven days a week, it can become very exhausting. And they were saying sometimes the caregiver ends up passing away before the one who actually has Alzheimer's because they're so busy being consumed, caring for their loved ones that they're not taking care of themselves. So what is your advice and how do you help families who have loved ones with uh, Alzheimer's?
0: Well, you are exactly right. Oftentimes the person uh, taking care of the Alzheimer's victim is the one who uh, declines first. Um, Alzheimer's is not a disease that only affects that person. It affects everyone around them. So the first word of advice is educate yourself. Get absolutely as, as much information as you possibly can to learn about what your journey is going to be like. And then secondly, um, get into a support group. Uh, Jen is a facilitator here in Carroll County, uh, offering a monthly, actually two Mm -hmm. monthly support groups because oftentimes someone will come into that group and um, they're not sure what to ask, they're not sure what to expect, but if they're with other people who are on that same journey and they don't feel alone anymore, uh, it amazes me when people come in and say, well, my loved one is doing this and we say that's very typical and they're like, oh no, I thought that was just my wife or my loved one. Um, third, get your business in order. Uh, see an attorney, uh, make sure you have a general health care power of attorney, not just financial but health care power of attorney or and or guardianship. Um, and get all your uh, documents in order, your bank accounts in order because at some point that person is not going to be able to um, manage those issues. And it's very important that um, the people that are taking care of them not only have that information but have the ability to manage it for them. Jim, would you like to add? Yeah, I mean,
2: coming into the support groups like Rita had just said, people are shocked by how much you can just learn in a support group. And it's not even necessarily the the information, it's the experience. And people learn so much better through experience and knowing that there's someone like them, that someone that's going through a situation like them. And I think that's what's so important with this disease. I mean, none of us really have a definite answer of what causes it, what's gonna cure it, what's gonna stop it. We don't know why personalities change. We don't know, we don't know a lot about it but we do know that we're going to go through it so the best thing to do is to educate yourself like Rita had just stated and get everything in order because because it, it does go downhill you know it's 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 is non-reversible so it's not going to reverse and go the other way so having having everything in order and being able to talk to people about it and learn from people and be able to take care of yourself
0: and learning to take care of yourself when caring for someone else is so important one of the things that we tell um, our people in support group is, just like on an airplane, you must put on your oxygen mask before helping others. Mm-hmm. And if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be here to take care of your loved one that so desperately needs you. Uh, respite care is also very important that you can get either from um, other family members or neighbors and friends or um community members or you can get paid caregivers to come in to give you a break and it's such an important aspect for that caregiver to have a a small break at all times. The other thing that we tell people in support group is that when someone says what can I do to help you, have a list and tell Mm -hmm. them this is what I need, what are you comfortable doing and accept help because again this is a journey that affects everyone.
1: And I think what you guys are saying is because if you got the loved one, you're busy taking care of them. You're not going to be thinking about the bank account or the uh, the insurance and making sure you have all your ducks in order, or being power attorney to be able to oversee the care of that person, and because they're not able to be speak for themselves, so you have to be power attorney over your finances, their medical records, and things like that, and that way you're ensuring that that person gets the best care as well as leaving something for yourself as a family member to make sure you don't lose the home or whatever in case you need to take care of yourself. That's very important because I'm looking at these testimonies of families and what they go through. Now, we keep saying personality changes. I'm hearing people say people who never curse or never violent become very, very violent, and sometimes... um, just don't talk, talk about those uh, personality changes that you guys have seen and work with patients and families that's gone through this.
0: Well, one thing um, that causes people to think that people are uh, acting out, if you will, or not behaving properly or responding properly is because we have to go to where they are in their world. We can't bring them to our reality. Someone who is looking for their mother that passed away 30 years ago to tell them, oh, your mom passed 30 years ago is not going to help. They're going to say, well, why didn't someone tell me? I can't believe this. But you have to go to their world to make them comfortable, to, to address their concerns and make them feel at ease. The other issue is that sometimes that people with Alzheimer's, they have no idea anything's wrong with them. So if you're trying to convince them to do something like change clothes or take a bath, they don't understand, well, why are you asking me to do this? I'm perfectly capable, I did it a few minutes ago, and I'm not taking my clothes off, you take your clothes off. Uh, Again, going to their world and choosing the approach. um, Our group here believes a lot in the Teepa Snow Educator and her uh, organization which is called the Positive Approach and that's exactly what it is. It's trying to approach the person, seeing things from their perspective. Um, Tifa Snow is a wonderful educator who is really known as the guru um, on Alzheimer's, and as a matter of fact, uh, the only time she will be speaking in Georgia, as I understand it, this year is coming up October 3rd here in Carroll County.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, a really great thing, I mean, we've had people come from all over. We had it last year um, come to attend her because she's so well-known and so knowledgeable of the information. But a lot of times with personality, and Teepa actually talks about it a lot, which is where we get a lot of our resources from because she's she's just, she's in it. And if you ever look her up or if anyone ever looks her up, you will notice that she's in it. She's understanding. Um, and a big thing Rito's talking about is just being a part of their world. And um, Tipa goes into living their truth, like, you know, if there's a bear outside, we're not going to argue in the middle of Georgia heat that there's not a bear. There's going to be a bear <laughs>
0: outside. <laughs>
2: like, you have to be to be on their level because that's going to make them feel calm. I mean, a lot of anxiety comes with this because, I mean, we're hearing, oh, no, that's not right. That's not it. Your loved one died. You know, we're, you're hearing that a lot where they're not understanding that. That's not clicking with them. Those memories aren't there. Those memories are fresh and gone because that short term is just not there right now. So learning to talk with them and care for them in their personality is very important and it, it makes the life of the caregivers easier and it makes the life of the one with Alzheimer's a little smoother of a process when you're when you're just going with what they're saying. Um, I like to call them fiblets in our support groups of, you know, it's it's okay. It's okay to live in their life and it's okay to go with what they're saying. Because if their husband died and they have to relive it every single day, it's just going to be frustrating because they're not going to understand. They're not going to understand that they're gone. They may say it a few times, oh, yeah, that's right. They may they may you may get that. But that's, that's not going to be reality anymore. That's not their reality. So approaching them is really important. And like you said, yes, there are the ones that, well, my dad was a preacher. He's never said a swear word in his life. Well, it's, it's probably going to happen. And he may hit and he may kick, and it's just because they're in a state of confusion because we're here to care for them or their loved one's there to care for them, and they're not understanding why, and it's not clicking, and why are you here, and why are you trying to take my pants off, why is the shower running, things like that, where it doesn't make it's not clicking with them that there's a caregiver. So, having a good approach is very important when caring for someone with Alzheimer's and learning their personality day by day because it's going to change it's not going to be consistent you're going to have your sweet mom one day who's she's you know still sitting in her rocker you'll turn the tv on she may be silent that day the next day she may be hitting you with her walker i mean you don't know she may she may have a moment of clarity i mean it's it changes day by day hour by hour it's a very interesting process um but learning approaches to it is important. I, I have a few of them. Um, approaching from the front is really important. Never approach anyone from the back with Alzheimer's. Really? Um, that's, it's scary. I'm just imagine. I mean, myself, I don't like when people come and tap on my shoulder on the back. <laughs> but I have the ability okay. to turn around and see if it is. So don't startle them because mm-hmm. that's cause some anxiety. Establish eye contact. Make sure that they're aware that you're standing there. Don't try and talk to them on the side or... You know, while you're tying their shoe and mumbling, I mean that's already frustrating that you can't hear in the first place. And hearing, is a, hearing loss is a big part of um, Alzheimer's as well as um, peripheral vision. Um, call the person by name. So if her name's Charlotte, hey Miss Charlotte, how are you doing today, Miss Charlotte? Making sure that that she's aware that you're there. That's important. Um, get down to eye level if needed. So if they're in a wheelchair, squat down. Don't don't try and lean over and talk to them. Um, let, the, let them initiate the touch. So you don't have to touch them on the knee. You don't have to you know, pat their shoulder or anything like that. You can initiate the touch. Or yes, or you can use um, the hands or anything like that. You can stick your hand out to them, uh, palm up, and that way they'll have the, the um, initiation to put their palm down. So, and then give directions one step at a time, cause I mean, I'm, I'm a one step at a time person myself, but having that, one, okay, we're gonna get a shower, or I'm coming in your room, or things like that where you're trying to give them instructions slowly, so maybe it will click for a second. So that, I think that is a few good approaches to talking with them and helping them with their personalities.
0: Also, routine and consistency is extremely important. Um, trying to keep uh, day sleep cycles so that they, they don't get their nights and days mixed up. That's something that's very common. Maybe it's because of a little bit of paranoia, but they'll get up during the night, rummage through their things, start packing, want to leave, uh, which can be a very dangerous elopement situation. So trying to help right. people to have as much routine as possible and as long as they can um, be active and get exercise to do so, Again, exercise um, and good hydration helps keep all of our systems running efficiently and and certainly someone who can't uh, initiate to get um, a proper hydration to provide that for them is essential.
1: Now, when you were talking about um, talking to them and, um, like you were saying, telling them they ask about their husband or their loved one they deceased, or they're seeing a bear outside. You know, I was thinking about a little kid seeing a boogeyman in their room, and you go to a child's level to say, okay, where's the boogeyman, or they're talking to a friend. But from what I'm hearing, from what Jennifer's saying, never talk to him. never come from behind. Look them in the face and talk slowly. So that means the caregiver has to have time, um, to have that conversation with them, because usually in the home, people are rushing to work, trying to get to school, and they want to rush and get this person taken care of. But that really can't happen. You really have to have the patience to talk with them or to listen or to kind of, or oh, you see a bear? What color is that bear? Or Am I going in the right direction with this? With uh, exactly. one Yes, mm-hmm. that's,
2: that's exactly right. And again, yes, the the caregiver has to have the p word, the patience, and that is very difficult when you have a loved one with Alzheimer's that is irritated. And you know what? It may be six o'clock in the afternoon, and you just got off work. And guess what? The caregiver's is irritated right. too because they're tired. And a lot comes from that. I mean, in learning to talk to them and just say, okay, I just, I just, I got to live in their truth for just a minute, and then maybe they'll go on to something else, or maybe we can get this cleared up. So having that patience to to really put forth the effort instead of, you know, saying, no, that's not there, or being irritated and just ignore them.
0: Well, and trying to, a couple of my pet peeves is, one, when someone says, don't you remember well, no, if they could remember, they wouldn't be in this situation. Exactly. But instead, to <laughs> yeah. restate what they've said or give them some clues about the situation so that they can try to put it together as much as they can. My second pet peeve is, do you know who I am? I, I hate that when I'm in the grocery store and someone walks up to me and say, oh, hey, do you know who I am? you know, my my little brain is racing trying to figure out, out through my <laughs> files and files of people who is this, who is this so I don't embarrass myself. But I have just I used to fake it, but I don't anymore. I just say, you know, no I don't. Please tell me who you are. But when you have short term memory loss and someone says that to you, it's got to be extremely humiliating. So I right. teach families that I work with that if if they come to me after their visit and says, you know, I don't know if mom knew me today my response to that is, you know, it's kind of your fault, because if you started your visit with, hi, mom, this is Rita, I'm your baby girl, then you're both on the same page. You Mm -hmm. both know you're starting um, uh, on the same playing field when you you start your visit. The other thing that is critical is in this horrible situation, besides patience, one of the other things that's so important is to keep your sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have to uh, you can't let someone endanger themselves, and so you have to choose your battles. If mom didn't change her shirt today, you know, why, why have the battle to make her change it? Or if it's on wrong side out, what difference does it really make if she's comfortable? But obviously, if she's about to stick her hand in a fire, you need to stop them. So you choose your battles. And in doing so, you have to find the humor in the situation. Um, because not laughing at them, but laughing with them about with what... Them. Way.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now I as we say we, I know patience and that you know, looking at some of the videos and some of the movies I've seen with people all the time, you definitely have to have patience. Daycare. There's daycares throughout the community to give people rest and that's where family members can um send their loved ones. So is that one of the support um Suggestions you guys give for families To be able to um, send them To daycare if you can afford it or You mentioned earlier having people to, uh, to come in and what If people can't afford that is there Funding available for people who Can't afford um, Some of these daycares or even having Someone to come in to care for them Their loved ones
2: So we do um, A few towns I know Of definitely has the daycare service and It can be kind of expensive and there are a few limitations to it such as um, wandering it can be a liability for them um, and incontinence can be a liability and if they wander into someone's room or escape, I mean there, there's a lot to it. so daycares from what I have experienced and this I could be totally off the page, but from what I experienced they, they kind of welcome the early earlier um, stages of late onset Alzheimer's. Okay. When it gets towards the end. That's more of a respite situation where someone comes into your When we say respite, we're saying someone's coming to your house. It gives you rest. Right. So um, you have anywhere from, you know, having to pay for professionals come in. And there are certain organizations that can help with finances with that. Um, but most likely you would have to pay. If you have a good church, a local church, sometimes they have great resources or um, – any kind of senior centers have resources. Um, using your, you know, using your family and friends, and I know that that's not always the case. I understand that. I have uh, plenty of people in our support group that don't necessarily have a strong network of friends and family, but they have the senior center. Or they right. have, you know, right. they know some, they know someone that's in the field, like that work at a hospital, things like that, where you go, you can kind of find the resources to have it. But there are so many. Um, senior services out there that are that are willing to help I mean they're they're not going to let anyone that struggles struggle so that's what we're here for and I, I hope that everyone's on the same page with that but that's what we're here for I mean just to, to do that and also um, hospice is a great resource as well it's paid for by Medicare and some private insurance oh, okay. so it's, it's necessarily um, free for them in in a sense so they get you know CNAs that come in two to three times a week, a nurse that comes in twice a week, 24 hour on call care, um, things like that where they can have that opportunity of, okay, well the nurses come today, that's gonna to give me a little bit of a break to go wash dishes, things like that. Cause you know, the caregiver's still living their daily life or at least attempting to live their daily life. So there are a good bit of resources out there. Um, nursing homes are a great option. I know it's scary for some people to say and to, you know, Say that they're never going to go to a nursing home but they're a great option it's 24-hour care and um, as well as assisted livings, memory cares are great um if you know if you can get into one of those but there's a lot of agencies that'll actually just come to your house and it's just about finding the resources and i really think like senior centers we have area agency on aging which is a great resource in our area and most areas have that because it's funded by the government as well so
1: no. I was looking at a number where they said more than forty-four million Americans are suffering from Alzheimer's. Is that number correct? And is that number increasing over the years? Are more and more people being diagnosed with Alzheimer's? Especially with absolutely- the baby boomer generation.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it's increasing, actually. That um, they're saying, like, they, wow. yeah, that we will eventually know someone personally, each and every person will know someone personally that has Alzheimer's disease. But that has a lot to do with the baby boomer generation aging too and coming up into the geriatric world. Um, But the statistics, I mean, let's see, they're saying by um, 2040, that's the year of the last baby boomers, hit age of 65, the number of the new cases of Alzheimer's disease is expected to be around 377,000 new cases a year, to, so wow. now, yeah, so that's gonna be, yeah, so 50 million older Americans will compromise, will be compromised by Alzheimer's disease. So it's, it's definitely it's increasing, <laughs> so there's- um, Read us.
1: Rita had said something about diet. Can their diet? We can eat healthy fats or healthy foods or something to keep our brain stimulated so it doesn't happen.
0: Well, most of the doctors recommend a Mediterranean diet, mm-hmm. um, and but uh, again, lean um, lean meats, uh, laying off the good Southern fried foods. Absolutely, um, <laughs> watching. Again, just monitoring your lab work and making sure that you keep all your your cholesterol down and your weight within appropriate limits. Um, At some point with the Alzheimer's patient, um, it actually becomes that there are so few things that they enjoy when you're choosing your battles that it's at that point, let them have what they want. But for those of us who are not there yet, um, to try to stay as healthy as we can by staying on the very best diet uh, lots of green, leafy, colorful vegetables, and mm-hmm. uh, mon- uh, minimizing how much alcohol, and not smoking, and you know, no illicit drug use. All you know, on and on. There's so many things. And one of the things that um, I meant to mention earlier that it, it seems that makes someone predisposed to have early onset is a previous head injury in their past. Uh, frequently, they, mm-hmm. they find that someone who has had a head injury. Um, or a concussion um, or a big a hard hit to the head um, can can be one of the commonalities with someone who has early onset.
1: And boy, we got a lot of football players and a lot of these young kids who, d- the sports injuries to the head, you know, the blows, car accidents. So we have that to contend with some of the younger ones, maybe, causing that um, them to have. Um, dimension a uh, brain problems?
2: Absolutely, yeah. They've actually been doing a lot more studies on football players and rugby players with head injuries relating to Alzheimer's disease, and it's been very interesting to follow those studies, and I recommend anyone to obviously research Alzheimer's disease, but also follow some of these studies because um, not to prevent you from living your life, but it also right. makes people more
0: aware of what they're going to be doing and what they choose to do. So. And there are some larger teaching hospitals, especially in the larger cities like Atlanta, that um, offer some uh, clinical trial studies that people uh, just need to check online to see if they meet criteria. Some that have not yet been diagnosed but maybe have had it in their, uh, their family, um, but, and also some that have been already diagnosed to participate in, to not only to help themselves but to help our future.
1: Right, right. Now, you ladies were talking about uh, an event on October 3rd. Give us some more information about who you guys are, where you work. Anybody have any questions if they wanted to reach you guys about Alzheimer's or have some questions about their family member, Can you guys give us information to the audience so they can reach you guys?
0: Well, certainly. Uh, we are, are part of the Alzheimer's Group of Carroll County, which is a not-for-profit organization who, um, who has the mission to provide education, support, and respite for those in our community in West Georgia who are coping with the Alzheimer's journey. And we have broadened it that it's not just Alzheimer's, but dementia, the dementia journey. Um, we um, do offer education in the community. We have public speakers. Um, and we, we try to do things that help people one-on-one. For example, we have a great event coming up called Sunday. And it's a time where we invite people in our community to bring their loved one who has Alzheimer's when they're no longer comfortable taking them out in public. This gives them an opportunity to have a fun, entertaining day where we have four different entertainers, everything from art and dancing and music and juggling, um, to and then a meal uh, for them to be able to get out and enjoy a day and have some positive memories and live in the moment. Uh, the TIPA Snow event that's coming up October 3rd, I'll let Jen speak more about. But we work parallel to the Alzheimer's Association. The Alzheimer's Association is a wonderful organization that does a lot of um, education, and they do a lot. They have a 1-800-24-hour um, helpline that people can call when they're in desperation and need assistance. They can help them to hook up with a um, a... Support group in their local community, like we have here. Um, but our organization, we, we actually are not a part of the Alzheimer's Association, but we work parallel with them. Um, and that we, our goal is to reach those people right here in our own environment, our own county um, in West Georgia. Now, I personally, uh, in my day job, uh, I work at an assisted living facility where we have. Um, Um, people in assisted living, but then we also have a memory care uh, unit where people have the structure, um, the uh, engaging um, approach, and the um, safeguards against elopement and someone being lost out in the community. Um, I personally joined this group because I had a personal as well as a professional interest in that my mother had Alzheimer's and she was one of the ones who was an outlier that lived 20 years with the disease. And that's wow. A, but she she was diagnosed at about 66 and lived to be 86, and it was a very very long. Heartbreaking journey, not only for her but for our entire family. And that's what the Alzheimer's Group of Carroll County does: is that each one of us has some personal as well as professional reason of this being our passion. We're all volunteers, and um, it, it is a wonderful organization. Jim? Yeah. So a little bit more about the Tipton Snow
2: event that's coming up. I'm really, I'm so excited about this. Um, again, please. Look up she is just a wealth of information she also has a cool um like podcast too um but it's going to be on october 3rd and it's at midway church in villareca georgia but it's from 8 a.m to four thirty p.m and lunch is included with the ten dollar ticket purchase but it it is really just a great event where tipa comes and talks about different approaches of how to approach your loved one in their agitated state or um I mean, anything from how to bathe them, how to, how to talk to them. And you can actually buy these tickets on the ALZ, which is ALZ, like stands for Alzheimer's, the shortness, ALZgroup.org. And you can also go to the Eventbrite to purchase the tickets as well if anyone's interested in that. But, um, she, again, she's just a wealth of information. I really recommend anyone to look her up. But um, I am Jennifer, or Jen, I'm called that a lot. Um, and I actually am the support group leader for the Alzheimer's group of Carroll County. I've been doing it for a few years, and I love it. And I I really feel like sometimes I'm there just to be an ear, which is absolutely why I'm there. Um, we have people from all over come in and share their experience or cry or laugh or say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe your husband did that too, or... Um, does your does your husband think sexual thoughts now too? Like weird, like things where it would be uncomfortable to talk about in public, but they're so comfortable to talk about it in such a small group yeah. and it's very it's very intimate for these people, and it's very moving. And and we we share a lot. And um, our our number, if anyone ever wants to call it, we have a hotline as well, which is seven seven zero eight three two nine zero one zero, and we have someone on call um, to answer any questions that they have questions about or to talk about the group or um, I've even met up with people because they couldn't come to group and they said, I, I can't come to support group. Can you come meet me? And that's just amazing because it just means people are wanting to learn and they want help. And I like when people reach out for help and they need it because sometimes I feel like we become too busy in life. Well, that's not the case here. We're not busy. We're no. not too busy um, But my day job... <laughs> I work for Hospice. I'm a volunteer coordinator, which is a really cool title, also for a event planner too. So I get to do all the community outreach events, and I make a lot of Hospice patients really happy. So we have anywhere from pet therapy Aww. programs to art therapy programs, uh, singing, dancing. Um, if you know if they can't hear, then we're going to go paint. If they can't see, we're going to listen to music. We're go- I try to target programs towards The patients that are on hospice to give them the quality life that they deserve and that's really what this group is about too is we want to give people the quality life whether they're Alzheimer's victim or they're a caregiver I mean that's that's the whole purpose of why any of us are here because we would want the same for us as well but um, I'm also a student at Jacksonville State University (laughs) and I graduate this year yay I get my (laughs) undergrad in uh, human science and nutrition so I get a lot of fun information on lifespan development, geriatric geriatric lifestyles, and nutrition that goes along with it, so it's a lot of really fun information um, to learn about and to actually get to use it and share it, and I never thought I'd find a job where I can do that, and I did, so I haven't had a personal family relation with Alzheimer's, but I've had so many experiences with it. I was an activity director when I was 19 years old (laughs) at a... um, assisted living and memory care yes so i was uh, very young and i gained a lot of experience and i cherish every minute of it and i got to work with amazing families who cared for their loved ones and some that dropped them off and you know we're there to care for them we're their family so i i got to see every aspect of it and it has blown my mind but it has made me grow so much and I, i learned from people like rita and all the other people on the board from the Alzheimer's group, I've learned so much, and people in the support group. And I think that's what's so important is surround yourself with people that are also wanting to learn, too, and also help. And that can go for caregivers. Like, be, be around these people. Be around the people that want to teach you.
1: Exactly, so, exactly. I just commend you guys for what you do, uh, you know, because the more I look at this, um, doing my research on Alzheimer's, I'm meeting more families who have loved ones, and I'm looking at the struggles and the pain they're going through. I commend you guys that, you uh, you know, Rita taking care of her mom for 20 years. And, you know, this is someone you really care about and you love and you watch them fade away. They call that, I think they said the long. what do they call that, the long death or, uh, yeah, um, I'm trying to find what to say. Oh, the long goodbye. No. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yes. Ultimately, and then ultimately, you the goodbye.
0: Yes. You tell them goodbye twice. Mm-hmm. You tell them goodbye when you lose them little by little, um, as the the person goes away that you mm-hmm. knew, and then you you go through grief exactly. again and lose them to death. But one of the things, again, I I, I forgot to mention earlier that I think is very important is that um, I don't have any clinical data to uh, t- definitely say this is true or scientific data, but I see this from the many years of experience I've had, and that is people with dementia know much more than they can express,
3: Mm -hmm. so
0: treating them with dignity and respect and not saying things in front of them that you wouldn't say in front of them if they had all of their wits about them, if you will, um, and um, and remembering that they know more than they can express. Exactly. I'm glad you said that because I wanted to say that earlier, and then I forgot to say it, so...
2: Yes,
1: giving them dignity. So, is that, is that kind of I was looking at a, a video of a family videotaping their loved one who has Alzheimer's? And she was trying to express herself, and you can see the frustration mm-hmm. that the words weren't coming out, nothing was coming out, but you knew she had it in her, but she couldn't get it out. Is that what you're talking about? But they, yes. they get that frustration, yes. like they want to tell you something, but it's not coming out.
0: Exactly. Right. The other thing is, um, there's something called the virtual dementia tour. Um, okay. You, someone has to become a um, a facilitator for that to be able to actually uh, do that. But it gives people an opportunity to try as much as possible to um, experience what the person with dementia is experiencing by altering your senses, your sense of touch, your sense of smell and sight and uh, hearing. Um, So if anywhere in your community you hear of someone that's offering a virtual dementia tour, take advantage of it. Uh, It's typically free. It takes less than 30 minutes, uh, but it can be a life-changing experience.
1: Wow. Now, you uh, you said something, read about the Sunday you guys do some music or some other type of events. I'm looking at people who have Alzheimer's and dementia. Music brings them back. Music gives them life. I think there was a black gentleman that had Alzheimer's. I think it was, I can't was it Larry. What was his name? And they put some headphones on him. And, oh, my God, it brought tears to my eyes to see this man. Look like he was electrified just with the music and how he came back and was singing. Is that what you guys see daily when people you're dealing with so many people in the facility or in the homes?
2: Um, music is a great tool. Um, it's a it's the it's a different side of the brain um, of those memories. Those are like your long term memories. So it's a different side of the brain that's being used. But it's so fascinating to see it happen. To see a <laughs> loved when not know their daughter's name, but they know a song that Elvis sang years ago. You know, it's amazing to see that. And music is such a great tool. I mean, um has taught us, you know, use music to get them to the shower, like dance with them a little bit, put a beat to it, because that's how the brain is still functioning properly exactly. with them. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, yeah, with them. Do that with them, not make them go by themselves. Um <laughs> Oh, in rhythm. I thought you said it with them. Um, but yeah, so so music is a is a large part of Alzheimer's, and does it work for everybody? No, but it it's worked for the majority of people that I've seen. That music is a great tool to use to reach them. It's a great tool to be on the same level as them. And um, people use it all the time. It's way better than turning a TV on with a lot of loud noises that are just like it's just a noise to them. It does it's not making sense. So turn on an wow. old song that they know and love, and if it's on repeat, it's on repeat. You know, just that's something that they love and know. And um, be patient to listen to it because it's it's very it's very interesting to see. So, and I know the exact yeah. video you're talking about. I, I cried at it too. <laughs> but um, yes. it's it's a, yes. it's a it's a very yes. moving video. And yeah, we we do see it. We do see it. Um, and it may not necessarily always be music, but pet therapy is huge having an uh, animal that they love or maybe they used to have a dog, but bringing mm-hmm. an animal in that's trained or if it's a family member's animal that's pretty that does pretty good with people, um, bring them in. Because animals do a lot for people. They can sense things too, wow. and it's it's incredible. Yeah. Very, yes, very yeah. soothing.
1: Now, I know I, I got you guys for an hour, but what do you ladies want to leave with the, our listening audience and um, – about Alzheimer's, what information you want to leave with them?
3: Can you hear me? (laughs) Yeah,
2: we're we're kind of of,
3: like,
0: there's so much we we want to (laughs) say. I I think the biggest thing is, is oftentimes, not only the person who has dementia and their family, they tend to shy away and and not want to continue to participate in the community and because they might make a mistake or they may not do something that's socially appropriate or they fear what people will think they don't want to tell their closest friend that their husband has alzheimer's they but it, it, they can't live in a uh, with their as an ostrich with their head in the sand because it's not going to get better it's going to get worse and it's something that everybody needs a support system and everyone whether it's a loved one in your family or a first responder that goes to a home and and deals with someone with dementia or a professional caregiver or like Jen and myself that uh, work in it every day and have a passion for it It could be the lady in front of you at your local grocery store that's struggling to count her money. Everyone, everyone is going to be affected. So don't wait until you're in crisis to get education. Start now, learn about it, and I pray to God you don't ever have to use all that information. But if you do, you're well armed and ready to go.
2: Mm -hmm. I I agree with Rita 100%. And um, just to the caregivers out there, you, you need time and um, you need a break. And what Rita said earlier is, if someone offers help, take the help, take it. Because it's a long process mm-hmm. and there are gonna be frustrations and there's gonna be moments where you feel like you can't do it. But having those resources and learning your resources and talking to people and communicating it and just being willing, willing to be open about it will help so much. So definitely, definitely take care of yourself
0: as a caregiver. And neither of us claim that we're, ex- we're more passionate about yeah, this than we are experts, but we hope that that's all right. Any, something we've said tonight has given someone a tiny bit of information that can be helpful to them, and we thank you for the opportunity of being able to share this hour with Absolutely. you. Absolutely,
1: I just truly, truly grateful. But I have one more question for you, ladies. Now, <laughs> how do one go about interviewing someone real quick? If I'm looking for someone to care for my loved one. How do I go about finding the right person that's going to have that patience with them to be able to know how to talk with them, reason with them, and get them to move and take care of them the way you would want them in a decent, humanitarian way?
0: Well, that is a very good question. A couple of things. Number one, no one, no matter how good they are, are ever going to take care of your loved ones the way you do. Mm -hmm. not with your own hands, and while it was my responsibility as a daughter to make sure my mother was cared for, it didn't necessarily have to be with my own hands, but the caregiver's hands that did do it had to be the right ones. There are a lot of agencies out there that do the screenings and background checks and try to match the person, the caregiver, to the person, Um, and it may take more than one to hit the right one. Mm -hmm. But um, I typically find that if someone is going, not through an agency, but through individuals, word of mouth is the best um, way to find someone. And then interviewing several that you see which one might fit not only your personality, but your, your loved one's personality, that they will click together and that they will learn to trust. And, and that they have the education and experience with dementia specifically, because not everyone is wired to deal with it as mm-hmm. a caregiver. Um, they don't have the patience, they don't have the education, they don't have the positive approach that we talked right. about. So, um, and then of course, you have to do all the safeguards as you would with anybody coming into your home, and that's of course doing um, background checks and mm-hmm. reference checks. Right. So okay. yep. Yeah. Things are taken care of. Yeah. Okay.
1: Now um, I know you guys giving us some great information, and I thank you so much. So you want to give them the eight hundred number again, Jennifer? In case someone's in a crisis or need some help or need some assistance, so people be able to get that number.
2: Yes, it's seven seven zero eight three two one. I mean, sorry, eight three two nine zero one zero and that's a that's a great number to call. Um if you if anyone ever needs to just talk to somebody. And um, again, if anyone's interested in coming to the tipest snow event on October 3rd at Midway Church in Villareca, it you won't you won't regret it. It's going to be amazing. So it will definitely All right,
0: be I'm going to check it out. Thanks
2: for personal and professional caregivers as well. So, and anyone that's just willing to learn
1: I love it. I love the ladies. Thank you so much, you guys. Yeah. I thank you for taking out time on your Sunday. Uh, you have blessed us really well with great information, and I'm praying that people would take time, reach out, and get some help for their loved ones as well as for themselves. I want to thank you guys. You're on the D-Hour Network. This is Marcia Patterson for your help, and we'll be right back. Thank you, ladies.
0: Thank you.
3: Thank you. we
1: You're back on the D-Hour Network. I'm Marcia Patterson, I'm your host. And I just want to take time to thank Jennifer and um, Rita for being on the show, talking about Alzheimer's. It is such an important topic for us to have this discussion because so many loved ones and so many people are suffering from this. And these people at home caring for their loved ones 24-7. And they we want you to know there's help and support out there, and I'm glad they're giving this information. Thank you guys so much for being on the show, but I want to remind our listening audience um, that listening to this program, that information presented here is for information and education only. It should not be construed as offering medical advice or diagnosis or any treatment. Please talk with your licensed practitioner or your doctor to get proper diagnosis for treatment because you know, Alzheimer's, dementia, um, depression, a lot of this is really affecting our brain. And our brain is so important for us to be able to have a life and have it more abundantly, this healthy life. And, you know, my grandmother used to say, Lord, thank you for waking me up in my right mind. And we see so many people are not there today anymore. Um, one thing I've I, Had Natasha Campbell-McBride on um, earlier um, this year. Gonna bring her back and talking about the gut and the brain. And as Rita mentioned, the Mediterranean diet is one of the diets that doctors really are encouraging people to be a part of your diet to eat healthy, green leafy vegetables, um, having healthy fat. Your brain is 60% fat, and we want to put the right kind of fat, you know, the fried chicken and all that other kind of stuff that they mentioned before, as the ladies mentioned before, it's not that healthy fat for your brain. That cod liver oil, you know, the coconut oil, and there's studies showing people who have early dementia taking teaspoons of coconut oil and their mind and stuff is coming back. So feeding your brain that healthy fat, and, you know, grandma had reasons giving you the cod liver oil. And they didn't have the science behind it. They didn't have the education. They just knew it was a good thing to do. And now science is backing that up today that this healthy fat helps your brain. And, you know, trying that water. People don't drink water. And Rita talks about being hydrated because if you're on medication, a lot of time medication dehydrates you. And so does alcohol and coffee and sodas and all this other stuff that we use to replenish water. Water is so essential for your body. And you, anyone that's listened to my previous shows, you hear me talk about water and the pink Himalaya sea salt and the salt, you know, putting the salt in your water. That's putting the minerals because our bodies no longer have the minerals that it's supposed to have because, one, the water's not running through the banks and the rivers and creeks anymore, and then our, our land has been depleted of minerals. Our body needs 102 minerals per day. Uh, Dr. Sabi talks about that and, you know, to putting food and eating food that's going to generate those minerals, and those are green leafy vegetables. Uh, food that has been killed doesn't have minerals. They're dead. It's dead, but they have some healthy fats that we can use. So it's important for us to take a look at our bodies, feeding our bodies early, the healthy food, so we don't have this problem as we get into our 20s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and 80s. You know, I'm a baby boomer, so I'm there. But knowing that we can start taking care of this brain right now, and it will take care of us. We've been lazy with our bodies, so I'm just educating us and myself as how we can take care of this brain. One is the water, the healthy fats, eating the minerals, and I think Rita talked about the B12, the B6, these foods and vitamins that will generate our body to take care of itself. There's no way you go buy a Lamborghini and you're going to put regular gas in there. You're going to go with what the manufacturer told you to so you can have the best operation of that car. And that's what we have to do with our body. It amazes me to see so many people smoking, and then when they get the prognosis that they have cancer or they have lung disease, they want to make a change, and they stop. It amazes me that you will stop just with the prognosis of the doctor in a white jacket telling you you have cancer. And you knew, you've been knowing all these years that you're puffing on these cigarettes that the cigarette will give you some type of effect, not a good effect to your body. It can harm your body, but yet you continue. But it's not until you hear it or you know that you have this disease that you now want to stop. If we're feeding our brains the wrong food, we can end up with Alzheimer's or dementia because we're allowing the brain cells to die off because we're not feeding it the healthy foods and the water and the minerals. We don't want to go there. We see what devastation that can do to the family, financially, emotionally, people. It's wearing on the caregivers and their children and their families. So let's take care of ourselves so we can take care of each other and enjoy each other and have a better life. And I think Rita and um Jennifer share information, great information on resources that can help us and help anyone that's in that current situation. So that's what we're here from to share to making sure we're looking out our brother's keeper. All right, you're on the D Hour Network, I'm Marcia Thadterson and we'll be right back.
3: Mm-hmm. mind My...
1: I'm your host, Marcia Patterson, and um, we talked about Alzheimer's. So we're going to shift gears here a little bit and talk about um, the brain. You well, know, we've been talking about the brain, but the brain as far as depression, you know, we may need to look at vitamin D. You know, vitamin D can cause depression and um. Not eating healthy foods again. We're going back with the food. I am so convinced that what affects the gut affects the brain. Natasha Campbell-McBride said, "Was been on my show." But I really want people who are going through some depression to start looking at vitamin D, cod liver oil, healthy fat, flax flaxseed oil for your brain. The Mediterranean diet. Mention that again. That I can't emphasize how food has a profound effect. On our health, our mental capability, and even in the water, you know, drinking healthy water. Um, I'm actually in Milwaukee, Wisconsin this week. So I think I'm gonna be here for a month, uh, taking care of some family business and things like that. And one of the biggest complaints I'm hearing about um, people living in the inner city here in Milwaukee is that these folks are crazy. They run red lights. They they the shooting the What's going on uh, in the community pretty much in many metropolitan cities is the crime, the drugs, the shooting. But one thing I'm seeing is the food. The food has a profound effect on people's behavior. We have Flint, Michigan, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, lead, lead in the water, lead pipes that are feeding many of the poor areas. That affects your mental capability. That affects your judgment. And it even makes you violent and it makes you mentally retarded. So we got to take that into consideration, the lead. Then we have the food. We have 52 genetically modified sugars out here that never was on the plate when our grandparents and great-grandparents were preparing their meals. Then we have genetically modified food. We have sugar. Sugar is the next crack cocaine. Then we have a lot of processed food with food, toast, corn syrup, all this stuff that never was on the table. Then we have a lot of young people on medication, ADHD, bipolar, schizophrenic medication. All of this affects our judgment, our mood, our attitude, and we have to go back. And that's why For Your Health blog talk show is here to educate us about what other people have done on their journey to get their kids back or to get their health back. And it all ties into diet, our diet. We are what we eat. Tony Stephan was on here from Canada, from True Hope Vitamin. His son, a bipolar, daughter schizophrenic, one manic depressant, a Mormon. He's a Mormon. Ten children, and out of the ten, three of them having some mental and emotional problems. He's gotten all t- three of his children back with a vitamin, a vitamin supplement for the brain. We have to feed the brain. And if the first thing you're feeding that brain in the morning is coffee, soda, alcohol, you're dehydrating that brain. And I want you to remember what Jennifer and Rita said. The brain withers up. Look at the uh, picture um, for the show. It shows you the healthy side of the brain and it shows you the other healthy that's not. And what it does, it withers up and starts drying out. We don't drink water. We don't put mineralize our body, put minerals back into our body like we're supposed to. It's our job. And medication dehydrates you. So let us Take this journey on a healthy journey on knowing how to take care of ourselves go back and listen to the blog talk radio show that i've had with tony stefan natasha cameron mcbride and i had the salt guru on talking about the benefit of salt and actually they just the salt institute lost their funding and they shut that down but i'm telling you guys I know from experience how beneficial salt is for your body. As I said, I'm here in Wisconsin. I'm meeting some of my families and friends, and everybody got arthritis or having joint problems, talking about knee replacement. I'm telling you, I used to be able to tell you when it was going to rain and when the temperature was going to drop. When I incorporated that salt and water in my diet, I I don't have that problem anymore. Food is our medicine and we need to learn how to go back to make food our medicine. At this time, I'm currently redoing my website for Yesterday's Kitchen for Today, sending that business in another direction, and that is we're doing home parties, educating people on how to eat healthy. And as we launch the uh, new website for Yesterday's Kitchen for Today, I'll be on the show, and we're going to cover that. So bringing people on board that want to work and be a consultant for Yesterday's Kitchen for today. We're going to be training other people to know how to use food for medicine and send them out so we can teach one family at a time and get people back in a mental as well as physical state. You know, uh, Brenda Cobb was on our show, uh, one of my first guests on my show, and she's from the Living Food Institute. She was diagnosed with cancer, no longer have cancer. People have used food for medicine, and we got to be able to teach the next generation and remind the older generation on what that looks like and how it's done. So next week's show is going to be on um, back to school and making healthy lunches, talking about healthy lunches for our kids. we got to get our babies back, and we want them to be smart, intelligent, and safe kids, making safe judgment about themselves and other people. So it's important that we eat the right kind of food. And I know we want to start with families, with the moms and the dads, because kids learn from mama. How many of us call moms and say, Mom, how do you make this recipe? What do we use to cook? We go with those traditions. So we want to be able to change those tradition of healthy food so we can have a healthy mind and healthy body. All right, we'll be back on bye body, water, how important water is to our body, but I want to bring up something called frontal temporal degeneration, and that is called FTD, where it's something like Alzheimer's but it's worse, and it progressed much faster, and from what I'm reading and understanding that it helps, it attacks the younger generation, and that it affects the language, being able to remember dates, organizing stuff, people, behavior change, and they um, come paranormal, paranormal, but with seeing things and um, things that are affecting them, and it moves very quickly. Um, like with Alzheimer's, Rita said her um, mom lived to be 20 years with it. She was diagnosed at uh, 66 and died at 86. So this uh, frontal portal, frontal um, lobe of the brain, the frontal part of the brain is affected with this disease and it affects very fast. So feeding our brain the right kind of food, and I'm going to challenge people when you get up in the morning, give your brain some water, some, something healthy and instead of coffee and soda, feed your brain the right kind of food. We wash our bodies. We take care of ourselves really healthy. But putting things in our body that dehydrate us right away, um, I don't think it's a good thing. So we want to be healthy and knowing how to, to be healthy. So do your homework on the Mediterranean diet, which is mostly vegetable and more a little more protein. People want, I think, it's kind of similar almost a little bit to the ketogenic diet. That's when you have a, uh, more of uh, the healthy fats, fish salmon but you want to make sure the salmon is not GMO. <laughs> you want to make sure the salmon is real. But our mission here um, is to educate and to share stories that you can wake up from other people's story and happen to happen to take that journey. And we don't want to take that journey. We don't want our loved ones um, having to take care of us would financially burden us down and emotionally burden us down. So I just want to thank the ladies for being on the show. So that's what I wanted to share with you guys. Um, what else I want to share? Um, I think we're looking to do a more more lineup uh, for the fall. Um, this whole summer I kind of ran some reruns during the summer because I know it's been hot this summer, um, especially in Atlanta. We've been in the 90s, and some states have even been hotter than the, us. But i really got more guests I want to bring on uh, the show on depression, talking about depression, um, diabetes. We're going to bring someone on talking about diabetes, and we're going to have some guests coming on talking about dialysis. My thing is I hear so many people about dialysis, and I've had some family members that have been on dialysis um you hear healthy you hear from some natural path people saying you can come off dialysis and um, changing your diet here we go again, changing your diet and changing your behavior from drugs and alcohol um, medication what um blood pressure medication she mentioned that earlier, monitoring your blood pressure eating, and what's surprising me about blood pressure medication and birth um Blood pressure period is that talking to some people, kids age 12 and 13 are getting put on blood pressure medication. Come on, parents. Come on, mom. We got to do better, dads. We got to do better and feeding our kids so they're healthy. So, we're going to have someone coming on about dialysis, uh, how the procedure works, and then see if, about if we can come off the dialysis machines and what's the procedure for that if it can happen. I'm going to have someone on about HIV and AIDS. We're going to have some guests on that show talking about AIDS Uh, in our community. um, I know in some states the black population is getting hit pretty bad with um, not getting tested um, for AIDS and HIV, so we want to cover that. See what people are doing and what medication is out there compared to what it was back in the '80s. You know, the word AIDS and death sentences now. People are living much longer with it and a much healthier life. So we're going to see what that journey looks like and how it's happening. What's happening to these people and their bodies? Also, if you have any suggestions for the show um, that you would like for us to have a conversation with about. Or, like to share your journey about your health and what's going on, and so others can learn from it. Because, you know, we are our brother keeper. We can walk through this journey in life by ourselves, but it would be very lonely, and eventually, um, it would get to you. People need people, we need each other. And sometimes, pulling away is not a good thing psychologically as well as physically. We need that human touch, and we need that combination of sharing and looking out for each other, I think is what it's about. And this is what this show is here to do, is to share with you the journeys others have taken. So when you take this journey or you know someone that has to, you can give them some advice and you can share with them, look what I've learned, and this is what others have done. To make their lives better. And that's what we want to make our lives better. You want to be all network? This is Marsha. So fine, so fine, don't mind. Ooh. So fine, so
3: fine, not mind.
1: you back on the D Hour Network. I'm your host, Marcia Patterson. I just want to thank you guys for listening and being with us tonight because Alzheimer's is very, very important for us to share this information uh, about this disease and how devastating it can be to families financially, emotionally, and spiritually. And so we just want people to take time to listen, to share this information, and to learn something. Because we did learn. And one thing I did take away from what Jennifer and Rita um, said tonight was being able to learn how to talk with these, uh, your loved ones who have Alzheimer's and dementia because they have these words inside them, they're frustrated because they're trying to express themselves and we're telling them, no, this don't exist, this isn't true, and they want to make that their point clear and not only that she said they got words inside them they're trying to say words and the words aren't coming out so the frustration is there and I know moving things putting things where they're not supposed to be because I've heard testimonies where people said they they can't find their key they find the sugar in the in the oven or other places like that and a lot of times we think sometimes they're busy they're working or We just don't pay attention to some of these signs, these early signs, and the keys getting lost. I can remember several years back uh, when my daughter was in college. My youngest one was in college at Columbus State University in Georgia. Went to visit her, my, her my granddaughter. My granddaughter and I went and spent the day with her down there. And on our way back, stopped at a gas station and filled up. And as I'm getting ready to pull out, there was an elderly lady in the car, and she had the driveway block that you couldn't pull out. And she was leaning in, looking kind of funny. And I walked up to her. I said, ma'am, and I tapped on the window. I said, you okay? And she said, and I meant to mention this on the show, she couldn't remember. She says, I don't remember where I live or I couldn't remember. So I asked for her driver's license, and I put her address in my GPS system, and uh, I told her to follow me. She followed me, and I took her home. I got her to her house. My only regret is I just drove her to her house. She pulled in, went in, no problem. I should have went and made sure Someone else in the family knew that this woman had a problem getting home. That was my only regret. And listening to Miss Rita, uh, Rita, and Jennifer today um, during the break, that came back to my memory because I forgot about it during the show earlier. That it's important for us to look out for our loved ones. And you see so many ammo Alerts out here now with um, someone looking for their father or their mother. And I think they had one situation in Georgia when it was kind of cold. They did find a person, but they had passed away and um, died of um, exposure to the weather. And then I'm wondering, you know, uh, carrying um, a device, you know, you have this 360 on your cell phone. I wonder if there's a device. You know, all this stuff is coming to me now after Rita and um, Jennifer is no longer on the show. If there's a 360 device that we have in our cell phone that we can trace someone, we can follow where they're going or whatever, when they're driving, what's going on. If there's a 360 system, kind of like an ankle bracelet that the police have, that we can monitor our loved ones. Uh, I don't want to put a chip in them, you know, you know. We definitely don't want to go that way. But indicating where they can be and monitor them and find them um, in case they wander off. And I know a rigging the house where they can't open the door in the middle of the night or putting knives or other things up because I've heard uh, testimonies about the people that their loved ones up in the middle of the night, one lady's husband, had Alzheimer's, and he's up walking around with a loaded gun. And that was her indication it was time to put him in a facility, a nursing home. And as Rita said, take time to interview um the people and the staff on the location of where you're going to put your loved one because you want them to be cared for. And as she said before, no hands are better in caring for your loved ones than your own hands. But, you know, a lot of times we can't do that. You're working, um, you have other family members, uh, and it can be emotionally and financially draining. And they're giving these numbers of how it's going to be increasing. It is increasing man, what's going on in this world? We have more and more children being diagnosed with autism. So we got a young a generation who mine is not there. Now we have a older generation who mine is not there. So we have to have something in the middle that's in their right mind. But then look at the now, we have so many people on antidepressant medication, uh, opium epidemic, drug epidemic. Americans, we have to do better. And that's going back to eating the healthy foods so we can have healthy bodies, healthy minds, and I truly believe if that happens, we'll have a healthy home, healthy community, and healthy country. we got to go back to eating and doing what is healthy for our bodies. So, it's been a while since I've been on. You guys have been listening to reruns, which is a great thing because those shows that we had previously were good information, but I wish everyone a blessed healthy safe week we'll be back on next Sunday and we'll be on back to school getting our kids ready um, to be healthy smart and strong you guys have a blessed
3: week and I pray to